Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit is rampant. B -b Bullshit. I am fucking exhausted. B -b Bullshit. Light this bitch up. Oh yeah. How dare you, sir? You're a complete monster, and I hope hell is real, and I hope you're there. Welcome to Bullshit Filter <laughs> the News, episode 54, recorded this day of our al-Baghdadi, uh, 28th of October, 2019. How are you, yes. my little buddy? You're not feeling the best today, you tell me. I am I am slowly making a rebound. I think several of my lifestyle choices have caught up with me. So I'll be rectifying that going back to church on Sunday, but um, uh, I've, I've, been better. I've been better. I keep telling you, before you suck the cock, you've got to make sure <laughs> they're wearing a rubber. That's just, I mean, it's unfortunate, I know, but it's just I don't like the common sense. Fine. Common sense Fine. these days. Develop, Common sense is not sexy. Develop, it's not sexy. Develop a taste for the rubber, Ray. Oh, flavored. All right. Yeah. Ask Thank Ulrich, you. Ulrich Hoxer, I'm sure he he uh, fully <laughs> understands what I'm talking about. Shout out to Ulrich. Uh, what? <laughs> well, uh, Ray, it's gloating time in the West today. It uh, it's Schadenfraud, Schadenfraud. Ulrich will know how to pronounce that properly, as my wife will. I'm surprised she doesn't burst in and correct my pronunciation no. of German words like she always Said does. It wrong. Yeah. Um, exactly. Well, uh, this week, Ray, the the leader of the world's largest terrorist organization mm -hmm. announced that he had killed uh, Al Baghdadi, the head of ISIS. <laughs> well played, sir. Mm. Well played. Um, now, a good get. Yeah. Is it really? Um, Really, the world's the world's largest military, uh, fourteen thousand <laughs> times bigger than the rest of the world's militaries put together, managed to get some old guy in a beard hiding in a fucking tunnel somewhere. Really, that's a good get. Daughters, they've been chasing yeah. him for ten years. They didn't even get him. He blew himself up. Apparently, allegedly, quite honestly, uh, uh, unless there's footage. I don't believe it, and even if I saw it, I wouldn't believe it. But still, um, yes. now, but the, the point is, uh, whatever you think of Al Baghdadi, um, the 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 oh, the hard ons, the the right. the, the uh, splooging by the uh, mainstream <laughs> media, and I'm not just going to say the American media, but around the world over this is astounding, right. and and the thing that. I don't know if it jumped out to you, but it certainly jumps out to me, is any other day of the week, the media, particularly most of the American media, hey, oh, well, let's be honest, global media, uh, outside right. of some extreme right publications, Fox News, uh, Breitbart, etc., um, don't believe a single fucking word that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth. Uh, they, don't, yeah. they don't take him seriously at all. They don't you know, value a single word that comes out of his mouth. <laughs> Unless right. it's about killing somebody, 
Then, all of a sudden, they take everything he says completely seriously right. and it's treated yeah. like the end of World War Two. We got Hitler! Um, yeah. Like, there's not a... There's not a there's not a scrap of skepticism. There's not a scrap of uh, 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 analysis. There's not a scrap of due diligence in any of the media coverage that I've seen reporting this so-called quote-unquote operation um, to kill Baghdadi. Uh, what's what's been your sense of it, seeing as you are in the belly of the beast over there in vagina? Right. Well, first of all, I think I think the reason it's believable because you and I know that Trump had absolutely nothing to do with it besides saying, "Oh, is he on the is he on the list?" Yeah, let's make sure we try to get him to. I mean, giving Trump credit for this is like giving credit to McDonald, Ronald McDonald for a good hamburger that you had. I mean, the guy had nothing to do with it because it's the military. We're willing to believe it. But even with everything you just said, there are, there are several news reports where they're trying to downplay giving Trump credit while at the same time acknowledging and applauding the military aspect or the military forces that made this possible. But uh, so even that, um, I think that people are like, yeah, no, I'm glad we did it. We're kind of sorry it happened under Trump's watch, but let's just try not to use his name or downplay him and, and, and try not to give him too, too much credit. That's what it's gotten to these days. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they're, they're uh, trying to figure out how do we rejoice and celebrate right. this news uncrit- right. completely uncritically. Um, but at the same time, try and <laughs> stick a knife into Trump's ribs. Yeah. As don't we, say the T word. Yeah. <laughs> as we go, um, let's like I took a scan last night uh, of the headlines that I could see in right. G- Google News about this, um, and oh my god, the tissues that must have been spent wiping up <laughs> splooge in the newsrooms around the world. Um, right. Here we go. Um, CNN. Inside the dramatic U.S. military raid that killed ISIS leader Baghdadi. The Hill. National Security Advisor says ISIS leader's death marks a great day for U.S. comma world. ABC News in the United States. The killing of al-Baghdadi is a win Trump needed, but the credit could be fleeting. (laughs) All right. Right. Stick the knife in. Uh, Here we go. The Times of Israel. Trump wins big with Baghdadi death and intends to milk it. I think you've all been milking it, milking your <laughs> milking your knobs as you write these headlines. Even Al Jazeera exclusive footage from the scene of U.S. raid that killed Baghdadi. Uh, RT even Russian fucking the Russians triumphalism yeah. over killing of Baghdadi in U.S. raid may fuel another cycle of violence. Oh, well, actually, that's a good one. Yes, triumphalism yeah. may fuel another cycle of violence. Oh, thank you, RT, for bringing the uh, bringing a little bit of intelligent commentary <laughs> there. Um, in right. Australia, uh, The Age, Melbourne newspaper, the tip, the raid, the reveal, the final moments of al-Baghdadi. Channel 9 News here in Australia. I think this is... Is this Australian Channel 9 News? Yes. Islamic State may plot high-profile revenge attack in West after al-Baghdadi dies like a dog in a tunnel. The Australian yeah. Financial Review, uh, Tony Connison's favourite newspaper, jackpot. 
how US troops cornered al-Baghdadi. The vice, uh, or just vice in the US, Trump says ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi blew himself up whimpering and crying. Just like oh God. Trump with a, with a hooker. <laughs> um, ABC News in Australia. Islamic State leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi is dead. Here's how the US operation unfolded. News.com.au in Australia. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi al-Baghdadi dead. US Donald Trump's plan to kill ISIS leader. Yeah. Yeah, Donald Trump sat down one night with a legal pad and a, <laughs> and a stack of freshly sharpened pencils and a map and went, all right, right. let's figure let's, this shit out. Let's do this. Let's do this. Yeah. yeah. Took his tie off, tied it as yeah. a bandana around his forehead. <laughs> put Got to put, work. Put camo paint over his face. <laughs> Had a little montage scene that he filmed of putting <laughs> Bowie knives in sheaths oh, and strapping right. on <laughs> in his bullet yeah. fucking belts. All the while, all the while humming the, uh, the theme to Mission Impossible. Dun, 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 yeah. Oh, come on. This guy has Actually, nothing to do with that. That's the music that plays in my head whenever I'm doing anything, quite honestly. Because um, <laughs> you're that good. Because you're now, that good. Now, how much coverage, uh, if you read some of those, I, I haven't read all of them. I've read a few. The New York Times, um, of course, which, uh, as you would expect, downplays the U.S. involvement in the creation of ISIS. But, but uh, I, I, I pose this challenge to those of you out there, wherever you are, but particularly American listeners, have a read of some of these and see how much coverage mentions the fact that al-Baghdadi was a shy, unknown religious scholar until right. he was uh, picked up and arrested for nothing and thrown into American torture camps, Abu Ghraib and Camp Booker, uh, after the illegal U.S. invasion of Iraq in 2003. Now, I say it's illegal. I have to keep reminding people because you won't hear that often said in the media coverage. Uh, it was declared illegal by the General Secretary of the United Nations. It didn't have the backing of the U.N. Security Council. Therefore, right. it's, it, under international law, the invasion of Iraq was illegal. And, of course, we now know that it was justified on what's called faulty intelligence, bullshit right. fucking intelligence, it's another way. bullshit right. justification, if you're going to be honest about it, that Saddam Hussein had, for kids out there, I mean, this was nearly fucking 20 years ago. It seems like yesterday wow. to me, but, uh, you know, 2003, yeah. man, like 16 years ago. Um my kids, my, my oldest boys were like three years old when it happened. Uh, two, two right. and a half. Um, uh, you know, it was, it was for kids who don't know the story, the US claimed and its allies, including Australia and the United Kingdom and others, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. verified this, that Saddam had a slam dunk. weapons yeah. of mass destruction that he was about to launch on Western nations or maybe Israel any drop of the hat, and right. uh, that he had uh, uh, supported the 9-11 terrorists. Turns out, neither of those things was true. In fact, right. and, 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 every, and, and not everyone, but plenty of analysts, Middle East analysts, Iraq specialist experts, came out and said that ahead of this, you know, between the attacks and... 2001 and the uh, the invasion in 2003 when this was being ramped up in the west 
plenty of people came out and said, no, 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 he doesn't have WMD. In fact, you go back pre-September 11th, 2001, and look mm-hmm. at the statements even of Bush administration officials, Condoleezza Rice and... Um, uh, 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 who was his fucking uh, Secretary of State, black guy? Colin Powell. Colin. Yeah. Colin Powell. Uh, they were on record saying, like, yeah, we, we've totally destroyed uh, Saddam's uh, weapons of mass destruction. He, he's right. fucked. He can't even, couldn't even build them if, if, if we, like, gave him it with an IKEA <laughs> uh, uh, set of instructions. He wouldn't know what to do. Then, well, no one could. Ten minutes later, they're like, oh, he's got him and he's about to use him. <laughs> everyone at the time, well, not everyone, lot, enough people at the time said it was bullshit um, for for it to be obviously fraudulent when several years later, uh, the military and the media turned around and the governments who had backed this and said, oh, well, no, we believed it was true at the time. Fuck off. No, you didn't. Like, we're not idiots. Right. Well, okay, a lot of us are idiots, but... Like some of us aren't idiots. Like you, there right. were there were credible people telling you it was bullshit at the time, and you you not only didn't listen to them, you actively went out to destroy their credibility and their careers and their reputation. And one guy in the United Kingdom, an analyst, committed suicide or was whacked, depending on who you believe, who was a staunch right. uh, critic of the invasion, saying there's absolutely no evidence. He, his career as an academic was destroyed. I think he was an academic. And it might have been a government uh, analyst. Can't remember exactly his details. I talk about it in the book, I think, somewhere. No, maybe not. Maybe it was in an earlier draft. Uh, he, mm. he, he, he died. Committed suicide officially. Maybe whacked. We don't know. You know, found right. in, found in a car with uh, two bullets to the back of the head. How did he do that? We don't know. It's crazy. Um, uh, <laughs> no, I don't remember exactly how he died. But it, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. He did die. Um, what? What? One of there was an Australian uh, intelligent anal, intelligence analyst, Wilkie. Um, whose career was destroyed when he came out and said that it was bullshit. He was an Iraq expert. Government totally tried to destroy his reputation, his career. Right. Um, he ended up uh, being a politician. He's, still, he's an independent uh, minister in the country now, Andrew Wilkie. Wrote a book on, right. on, on the lies and the dissemination that happened um, uh, in the lead-up to that. Anyway... Where was I going with all of this? Oh, yeah, the illegal invasion. That's why. So al-Baghdadi was uh, a nobody, uh, 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 as far as we know, just a religious scholar, until he was picked up as part of the arrest sweeps that the Americans did when they Mm -hmm. invaded Iraq, thrown into torture camps, uh, probably tortured along with his friends, um, but try and find mention of that. In the New York Times, they tried to downplay it. It's so funny. Uh, David Markham, God God bless his uh, little patriotic heart, linked to the New York Times article, said, and, and, you know, went to the lengths when he posted it of putting his own commentary, see proof that he was already... Uh, uh, um, uh, militant. Uh, yeah, yeah. What are they? It's not militant. Um, radicalized, yeah. radicalized Radical, before he Bye. went. Before he was picked up in the prisons, um, and people who say pe- people who say anything different are telling lies or don't know what they're talking about, which was a dig at me, I assume. And um, mm-hmm. but then I read the New York Times. I go, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what the evidence is for that. They quote one guy who said, oh, yeah, when he was in, I was in prison with him. When he was in prison, he was organising the prisoners to uh, take on the, the Shia. 
um, in prisons. That was it. Now, they, this one guy, they, they mentioned his name, but they didn't say who he was, what his credibility is. I looked him up, could find nothing out about this guy. I could find a guy with the same name who is apparently a Shia militant leader, so, which and I don't know if it's the same guy because they didn't say anything else right. about this guy. They didn't say this guy who's a Shia militant leader or blah, blah, blah. Anything, he's a doctor or he's a, an analyst or, you know, yeah. nothing about him. Just a, just a random Arab name said, and then even what he said was fairly innocuous. Well, he was in prison. He was organizing other Sunni conservatives to fight against the Shia militants in the prison like, well, okay, I think that's what you do in prison, right? You gang up that to survive. survive. That's how you do exactly. it. Exactly. No evidence. It's got nothing to do with what he did before he was in prison. Just like right. Even so, even when the New York Times tried to downplay how he was radicalized when he was in an American two American torture camps. They still couldn't Jeez. come up with much, but it was enough for David Markham to believe. He was like, oh, look, see, <laughs> spout the patriotic line, right? Like people will believe anything if uh, if they want to. If they have a cognitive bias where they want to believe, doesn't matter what you feed them, they'll, they'll suck it up, lick it up and ask for more. Now, but that's what makes hmm. propaganda so valuable. Oh, it's the New York Times saying it. You know they've got the shit out of that. So how can it not be true? I mean, it's just. I mean, that's why propaganda is so valuable. And corporations own newspapers, even though they're probably to some degree losing money now with online stuff. The point is that stuff works, and a lot of people don't even think they just read it, and now they know what to say at the water cooler. The same New York Times, by the way, that was waving the flag before the invasion for the invasion using bullshit, using the guy uh, Shalabi, their, their anonymous source, the Judith Miller, writing for the New York Times at the time, was quoting to justify right. the government's claims. For people who don't remember or didn't hear or oh. too young to remember, basically what was happening is the the this journalist for the New York Times, Judith Miller, was writing stories, quoting an anonymous source saying mm-hmm. who was an Iraqi saying, yeah, he's an insider, saying, yeah, yeah, it's true, Saddam's got WMDs, he's going to attack. Um, the Bush administration were pointing to Judith Miller's article saying, see, see, it's true. <laughs> Of course, what nobody found out until later was that her source, a guy called Shalabi, was a, an American government asset. He was a CIA asset who had been he was right. a, he'd been exiled from Iraq for decades. Was a, was an enemy of Saddam Hussein's. Was just feeding both the government, and he'd been given yeah. to the New York Times by the Bush administration as a source. Right, <laughs> but they were then using the New York Times articles to back it up. The New York Times did nothing to fact check this guy or his claims or anything. Right, um, oh, solid. And then when it all came out a few years later, the New York Times were like, "Oh, my bad, Mia culpa." Oh, they fired Judith Miller. They were like, "Oh well, you know." And the the fucking Pulitzer that we won for those stories, I guess we'll hand that back. Um, oh, we'll never do okay. it again. But here they are, just totally like every fucking opportunity, whether it's. Iraq or Venezuela or Baghdadi, whatever, just jumping on the uh, the 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 American uh, propaganda bandwagon. Yeah. Not a, yeah. I read through the entire five thousand word article in the New York Times. Not a single piece of critical analysis about the rise of ISIS. 
Now, wow. back in September 2014, you won't find this in the fucking New York Times either. Now, back in September 2014, General Martin Dempsey, who is the head of the U.S. military, my old job, mm-hmm. told a congressional hearing, <laughs> I know major Arab allies who fund ISIS. Here he is. Yeah, listen to him say it yourself. I'll play, <laughs> I'll play the clip in case you don't believe me. Make sure that my, I got my uh, my video player on. Yeah, okay. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Here's the clip. C-SPAN. This is on. Arab ally that embraces ISIL. That's uh, Lindsey Graham. Uh, right. I do declare. <laughs> <laughs> I've always made a habit of some explaining the kindness of strangers. I don't know, whatever that quote is. Here we go. I know major... This is General Dempsey. Arab allies who fund them. Yeah, but did they embrace that? They fund them because the Free Syrian Army couldn't fight Assad. They were trying to beat Assad. I think they realized the folly of their ways. Let's don't taint the Mideast unfairly. Is it fair to say? (laughs) Yeah, that was incredible for Lindsey Graham. For all he's, you know, he's been on every side of every position since he's ever entered politics. For him to say, let's don't taint the Mideast unfairly. I mean, that's an incredible statement because if he had been president, I think there would have been an uptick um, in a lot of activity in the Middle East. And I think a lot of people were saying that about Hillary Clinton as well. But for him to to panic when that general says that, and you've got to see the video because the general is giving attitude when he says that. He's got a, he's got a knowing smile on his face. And here's Lindsey Graham backtracking so goddamn fast that it's amazing to watch. Even though it's a very short clip, it is astounding to watch. And I just watch it over and over again knowing about a lot where Lindsey Graham came from and his politics. But he was basically like Trump. You know, we get a lot of money from the Middle East. They buy a lot of weapons for us. We get oil from them, that that kind of thing. We can't piss off those people, even if some of them are or were involved in 9-11. Let's not piss them off because that's one of the many cash cows that we have. Yeah, but also, you know, ISIS is useful. Um, yes, ISIS is a useful role in destabilizing the Middle East, which has been U.S. policy for decades. Same as destabilizing Europe has been Britain's policy for centuries. Um, you know, get them, keep them fighting each other. Keep you know the the threat of violence over there uh, active, so it, it it justifies our own military investments. Uh, to right. you know, selling weapons, if if the Middle East was at peace, who are you going to sell hundreds of billions of dollars of weapons to <laughs> right. every year, right? Every year. How are you yeah. going to justify no. your 800 military I, bases around I, the world I, I and all I of the jobs know. that they support? Now, just, uh, sorry, a month after Martin Dempsey made that quote, uh, Joe Biden, yeah. who was still vice president at the time, took a took a break from uh, doing dodgy deals for his son in Ukraine that can help, help them scrape millions of dollars of Ukrainian taxpayers' money into their personal bank accounts. Uh, he went a step further and explained that Turkey, Qatar, the UAE, and Saudi Arabia, and here's the quote, were so determined to take down Assad. Is that a good Joe Biden? I don't know. It's not bad. It's not bad. They poured hundreds of millions of dollars. Sounds a bit more like uh, Ron, Ron Paul. Uh, no, who was the guy with the big ears? Uh, <laughs> oh, Ross Perot. Ross Perot. Ross Perot. Yeah, I can do my yeah. Ross Perot. I was so determined to take down Assad 
They poured hundreds of millions of dollars and tens, thousands of tons of weapons into anyone who would fight against Assad, including al-Nusra and al-Qaeda and extremist elements of jihadis coming from other parts of the world. And then this outfit called ISIL. Oh. So that was Joe Biden. I don't know why he was doing a Texan accent. Is he from Texas? <laughs> no, I don't think so. He was doing he Texas. He just, he, 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 you know, Joe, he, if, he's yeah. not, if he's not touching up a woman. Then, or, or, yeah. or, or, or He's not or, living. Or bribing a country to, to get rid of their prosecutor because he's looking into the company that his son's a director of. Uh, he's doing Texan accents. He's wacky. Yeah. But they, they just, but <laughs> he said they, uh, they, they were funding ISIL straight out of Joe Biden's mouth. Uh, Turkey, Qatar, the UAE, and Saudi Arabia were funding ISIL. Now, uh, you know, these are, these are, Countries, partners of the United States, particularly right. Saudi Arabia, Qatar too. They've got major base in Qatar. Um, shout out to Martin Darlington, our uh, helicopter pilot mate in Qatar. Took took Chrissy oh, yeah. and I and my mum and Fox out to dinner when we were there. Um, nice. Yeah, it was it was fucking it was huge. It was awesome. Loved it. Um, the, the, you know, so so these are proxies for the United States interests, right? right. So. When the United States obviously uh, doesn't want to be seen giving weapons or, or money directly to a terrorist organization, you, you give it to a proxy, give it to Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia, you give it to Qatar, you give it to the UAE, you give it to Turkey, and then let them hand it on to the... You give it to Israel is one of the main ways that they use Israel as a proxy. Uh, you, you give it to them, oh, it's aid. What they do with it, oh, fuck, you know, that's got nothing to do it's, with yeah. me. I mean, I, well, you know, I'm not yeah. in control of that. Look, here's my two cents. Yeah. ISIS are bad, okay? Sure. Okay. ISIS are bad, okay? Mm. What? ISIS are bad. But look at it from their perspective for a second. Walk a mile in the shoes of an Iraqi, like al-Baghdadi was. Imagine it's 2003 and you're an Iraqi civilian. Just doing your fucking thing. You're not a terrorist. You're not a. You're not a soldier. You're not mm. a. You're not a politician. You're not a power player. You're just. You're just a guy or a girl. Got a family. Got a job. You're doing your thing in Iraq, living right. your life, going to work, coming home, banging the wife, having a few kids, watching TV, kicking a soccer ball, drinking a coffee, um, whatever you're doing. You're a civilian. You're an Arab. Your ancestors were under Ottoman rule, read Turkish rule, for mm-hmm. centuries up until World War I. And in our right. Cold War show over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking a lot about the rise of Arab nationalism before, during, and after World War I. Uh, when they started to think, you know what, we don't need to listen to the Turks, we could mm-hmm. rule ourselves. You know, I think because we know the Ottoman Empire were Muslims, sometimes it's easy to think that, well, all Muslims are Muslims and they, they're all just one big happy family. No, the, the Muslims in Arab countries wanted self-determination. They're Arabs. They're not Turks. Uh, the same way that, you know, Christians around the world have fought each other 
for 2,000 years. Um, so the, the Arabs in the early 20th century started to develop the idea of self-determination and nationalism started to think about breaking away from the Ottomans. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and we're talking about that in the Cold War show because we're talking about the rise of Israel and Zionism. And just as the Arab nationalist movement was starting, the, the Zionist movement was also gathering steam. And they were like, oh, that bit. just as the Arabs were going, we want self-determination, the Zionists were like, oh, actually, except for this bit, which we'll take. Yeah, right. Um, right. And they were they were they were mostly Russians. <laughs> so you're an Arab in Palestine trying to figure out yeah. how to get your country back from the Turks. All of a sudden, you got a bunch of Russians coming in and going. Well, actually, no, we're going to take this because two thousand years ago, some people lived right. here that we're distantly related to. Like five percent right. of our DNA is connected and to these people. So really, it's ours. God you. promised. Yeah, God promised. Actually, no. Most of the as we've learning. Most of these early Zionists weren't religious. They didn't. They were atheists. Right. They oh were my God. Russian communists, atheist Jews. They didn't believe in God. But it sounds good. They didn't right. believe God. Yeah, well, it sounds good now if if you say that to the Christians. But back then, you know, the early Zionists, not all of them, but a lot of them, a lot of the leading mm -hmm. early Zionist leaders were atheists. They, right. they just wanted a country. Anywho. Um, you, so you're, you're, you're Arab, you're living in Iraq, your ancestors have been under Turkish rule for centuries. Then British, Britain, after World War I, just invented Iraq as a country. Uh, Winston Churchill got shit-faced drunk. Well, what he got was always shit-faced drunk um, <laughs> with brief periods of sobriety, which he uh, tried to keep as short as possible. He's drunk. He, he gets a pen, just draws a wiggly line across a map and uh, made up a name for it. Didn't give a fuck who yeah. lived where, who imposed what on whom. Just oh, let's lump all the people that live here into a country. And then imposed a Hashemite monarchy on Iraq. Hashemites were mm -hmm. Jordanian kings. We're going to be talking about them in the Cold War show as well. Um, Ibn Ali, Hussein Ibn Ali and, and these Jordanian uh, kings. And then, uh, yeah, obviously, Iraq after that period had coup after coup after coup for decades, mostly right. generals fighting for power, um, playing off British interests and French interests, etc. And then in the late 70s, Saddam Hussein comes to power with, mm -hmm. the, with the Ba'ath Party. Then they, they have a war with Iran for eight years, supported by mm. the U.S., Officially, Iraq supported by the U.S. Unofficially, Reagan supporting Iran as well <laughs> behind the scenes with the right. uh, the uh, Iran Contra uh, deals, uh, mm -hmm. uh, selling them weapons. Uh, enormously expensive war, half a million people dead on both sides, with no territorial gains at the end of it. No, 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 no fucking borders moved. Wow. Nothing changed. Right. Just half a million people dead. Why? Because you want them fighting each other, uh, yes. destabilize, uh, uh, keep them busy, keep them buying your weapons, keep them buying your your gas, uh, uh, chemical weapons. The U.S. was selling to Saddam uh, during this period to use against the Iranians. Um, then a few years later, literally like three or four years later, so the the Iraq War, Iraq Iran War finished what in eighty eight. Uh, three years later, the U.S. invades Iraq. 
Operation Desert mm-hmm. Storm, tricked them into invading yeah, Kuwait, as we've right. talked about on previous shows. I think it was on our Syrian war series. Somebody emailed me recently, said they just listened to that and asked me for the um, the links to the cables that Wikipedia, uh, Wiki, Wiki, WikiLeaks released. Mm-hmm that uh, demonstrated the uh, behind-the-scenes negotiations uh, leading up to that time and how the U.S. basically tricked Saddam into Kuwait. Basically said, yeah, we don't care. And Saddam was like, listen, I'm going to invade Kuwait. Is that all right? Because they're taking my fucking oil. And they used to be part of Iraq anyway. Um, They're taking my oil. I keep telling them to cut it out. They won't. I've got to invade to cut it out. Is that all right? America went, sure, it's fine. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, we don't care. Go, go do what you got to do. He did it. He stepped, just put one foot over the border. They were like, oh, <laughs> fucking what? Look what oh he's doing. God. We need to step in and cut <laughs> that bullshit out. We've been stabbing allies in the back for decades, obviously. If you want to hear the rest of that story, go and listen to our Syrian Civil War series, if you haven't already on this series, if this is new to you. Um. So Operation Desert Storm, 30,000 Iraqi soldiers are killed, a few thousand civilians are killed. Then the U.S. uh, puts, uh, with the the support of the United Nations, uh, put Iraq under harsh economic sanctions for Mm -hmm. the next 10, 12 years. Full trade embargo, um, you know, there was some medical supplies, some food, some humanitarian necessities allowed in, but limited. Um, The country Mm -hmm. goes through hyperinflation, massive poverty, massive malnutrition as a result of these economic sanctions. Um, They used to say 500,000 children died. A million people died as a result of the economic sanctions, half of which are children the right. numbers are now debated. Um, it's hard to know exactly what's true and what's not true. It must have been bad, though, because the the UN ambassador to Iraq uh, quit in protest at the time, saying that there was a genocide going on as a result of these UN sanctions. Jesus. Then his successor, right. UN ambassador, also quit in protest a couple of years later for the same reasons. Um my God. These days they say, oh, it wasn't as bad as uh, everyone made out at the time. What I do know is that at the time when these numbers were being believed, Madeleine Albright, who was Bill Clinton's Secretary of State, was being interviewed by Leslie Stahl, I think on mm-hmm. CNN or 60 Minutes or one of these. And she was asked the question, half a million children dead, is it worth the price? And Madeleine Albright said, yes, it is. It's worth the cost. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Actually, probably- what was the risk? What was the risk to American safety and security from Iraq besides oil? Well, there there wasn't one. Here's Madeleine Albright. Listen to this (laughs) clip. You love this. We have heard that a half a million children have died. I mean, that's more children than died when when, in in Hiroshima. And and you know, is the price worth it? I think this is a very hard choice, but the price, we think the price is worth it. There you go. Damn. 1996, half a million kids dead, the price is worth it. doesn't matter whether the numbers are real or not. She believed it. She didn't go, hold on, those numbers are fucking bullshit. No, she believed half a million kids dead was worth it. It's American foreign policy for you. Um, Then... 
12 years of economic sanctions. Then Iraq gets illegally invaded by the United States over bullshit claims of WMD and involvement in 9-11. Now, mm-hmm. you can say Saddam's a bad guy, and I'll, I'll agree with you, but uh, that's beside the point. You can't illegally do shit and then justify, well, he was a bad guy. He probably deserved it. That doesn't get it. You can't walk up to some dude in the street, <laughs> shoot him yeah. in the head, and I, then when you get arrested, you go to court, you go, well, he was a bad guy. Yeah. He probably deserved it. It's not fucking Charles Bronson world. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> Americans right. yeah. of all colors, by the way, like my good Democratic friends like David Markham will justify the invasion of Iraq by saying, well, he was a bad guy. He deserved it. That's that's not how fucking law works domestically or internationally. Anyway, despite what a bad guy was, like Bashar al-Assad and his father before him, Saddam was a strong man who held this fucking uh, hot pot of different, religions and and uh, and fundamentalists that have mm-hmm. been thrown together into a country together um for decades yeah like i've i've spoken to many iraqis uh, a lot of we have a lot of people live here limo drivers usually uber drivers i go where are you from they go oh. iraq i go oh okay when, when did you move here uh you know in the early 90s early 2000s when i go what did you think about the whole thing? And everyone I've ever had, and I'm not saying that every Iraqi ever agrees with this, but every Iraqi I've ever had who I've had this conversation with, and half a dozen, I'm going to say, over the last few years, have said the same thing. Mm-hmm. Look, Saddam was tough. Saddam was brutal. But if you weren't trying to agitate against the government, it was fine. You just got you got along. Your life was good. You could run your right. business. You could live your life. He was rough with people that were trying to agitate or overthrow the government, you know, uh, uh, against dissent, dissenters. He was tough yeah. against. Everyone else, it was fine. Anyway, um, that's I'm not saying that's justifiable or that's good, but for most people living in Iraq under Saddam, 98% of the population, I don't know, had it all right. It was okay. If you were, if you were on, got on his bad side, sure, you'd end up tortured in a bathtub. Um, but that's true in every country. Let's not forget that the United States oh, yeah. has the highest prison population per capita in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and no one bats an eyelid at that. Saddam, it's nothing compared to the United States. Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> they go, oh, well, they're in prison because they do bad things in America. Yeah, okay, well, like smoking mm. some weed, you know? Terrible thing. Yeah. Um, right. So, anyway. Invasion happens, Iraqi civilians dead, the government's overthrown, there are torture camps that people are getting thrown into, women are dead, children are dead. They had nothing to do with 9-11, these women or children, or even Saddam Hussein, nothing to do with it. But now they're being Mm -hmm. tortured, they're being killed, your friends are being tortured. American soldiers kicking in doors, shooting people. Australian soldiers kicking in doors, shooting people. We, we have uh, stuff going through the courts at the moment about Australian soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan right. in that period that were killing civilians and then covering it up, hiding it up. It, it happened everywhere. And look, I know wars are terrible and wars are a bad thing, but they shouldn't have been there in the first place. At least Iraq. Afghanistan, okay, maybe we can talk about it. But Iraq, no one should have been in there. So you can't go, well, war's hell when you shouldn't have been there in the first place. Like Vietnam. It was right. legal. It shouldn't have been there. Yeah. Um, 
your friends are being tortured. They're being waterboarded in Abu Ghraib. They're having electrodes put on their genitals. Maybe you are too. And then you get released. And the torturers Mm -hmm. install a puppet government in your country. Uh, All of their security firms and their Halliburtons and their oil companies come in uh, and start divvying up the assets of your country. And then they start looking around at other countries in the Middle East and going, okay, what's next? Let me ask you a question. You're this person, Ray. You get released from prison after being tortured. All your friends are tortured. Women and children dead. Friends dead. Country's been taken over by foreign power. What do you do? Yeah. Well, the the answer, the, the obvious answer is it's payback time. For some people, that might be protesting. For some people, that they might become a terrorist. And there's a whole bunch of levels in between. But when something like that happens and you've been treated, especially if you, and like your scenario suggests, and I'm, and I'm sure it's true for a lot of people, that weren't involved in, in something before they were swept up, um, it's payback time. It's time to go out and kick some ass and do whatever you can to inflict pain, just like the pain that's been inflicted on you for years, even though you didn't do anything wrong. So you're going to find some way to strike out at somebody who's connected to this. No, I said, it's what human would, nature. What would you do? I wasn't being oh, I'm a pansy. I'm, I'm a pansy. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. No, uh, I, I mean, I, I mean, you know, I'm an American. I, I live very comfortably, except for my when my hot water heater goes out. I mean, I cannot even imagine having my entire world torn away from me, everyone I loved suffering in some way, my country taken over, um, national resources being sucked to another country. I mean, I cannot even imagine what that would be like and what I would do because that is so far removed from what I know. But I imagine there would be some very intense dark thoughts. And and then it comes down to my individual character. If I have the ability to act on those, but it's got, it's going to get dark inside my head going through all that. Do you fight back or not? Now, you know, the crazy thing is like uh, Americans love the guy who gets beaten around and then fights back. I mean, uh, Hollywood make movies about it. Yeah. 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 He is Charles Bronson, right? Uh, yeah, American glorify Rambo exactly. You know yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know we 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 glorify those people yeah. in Western media when they're Westerners fighting against foreign <laughs> bad guys. You know Iron Man, Iron Man's yes. in a cave fight. So we we make yeah. fucking fifteen blockbuster films Woo! based on that guy. Yes, but if yes. that person's Arab and they're fighting Western oppressors, oh no, no, then they then. We, we dance on their grave when they uh, blow themselves and their daughters up to Terrorist. escape being captured and tortured. Yeah. Um, yes. uh, 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 or when our politicians and generals kill civilians, and let's mm-hmm. not pretend that they don't, they do it every day of the week, we yes. say, oh, well, it's worth it, like Madeleine Albright. I think the price is worth it, yeah. Yeah. When other people kill civilians, we call them terrorists and glorify their hunting them down and uh, either executing them like bin Laden or having them blow themselves up before we can get there. Now, here's a question, Ray. Yeah. How many people do you think have died resulting from US-led wars, military coups and intelligence operations since World War II? <laughs> Oh my God, I have no idea. But I mean, 
we we just on the various shows we've done, we've talked about coups and overthrowing and and passive and aggressive um, supporting of rebellions. I mean, it's got to be tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. I mean, I have no idea, but it's got to be a number that would make make us sad. Throw another, if we felt that, throw another few zeros on that, and you're probably getting close. Like I've got one study in front of me that estimates 20 million 20 Jeez. million people dead mostly yeah. civilians as a result of us-led wars military coups and intelligence ops now they list in this study uh 37 countries where this has happened since world war ii now this is where the us has either invaded or had a proxy invade with their with mm-hmm. US support, financial and military support, or right. where they've imposed economic sanctions and people have died, like you know in Iraq we mentioned before, or uh, they've directly supported a military coup and a brutal dictatorship that has crushed dissent in the countries. Jeannie Kirkpatrick right. and her doctrine supporting right wing dictatorships, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that we've talked about before. Here's the list mm-hmm. of countries, and I and and I'm going to ask you, every one of these, to name the U.S. operation. Afghanistan. Um, after 9/11, I don't know the name of the operation. What about before 9/11? Um, couldn't tell you. Uh, we've talked about this, I think, before, but, um, you know, when Russia invaded Afghanistan in the late 70s, oh, yes, um, yes. Okay. They, they were led into doing that by the United States, by the CIA. Um, that's not a conspiracy theory. Zbigniew Brzezinski, who was Carter's security advisor, publicly right. said that uh, years later. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, he said it's not very well known, but we... You know, we uh, created the conditions to draw Russia in. We destabilized the country. They armed the Mujahideen, uh, which turned into Al-Qaeda. Uh, we, we armed and trained those people to destabilize the Soviet-friendly government of Afghanistan. So the Soviets would have to come in and support them because we wanted to bleed the Soviet Union out and give them their own Vietnam. Oh, Look it up. Zbigniew nice. Brzezinski. Don't ask me how to spell that, but you work it out. Um, so two operations in As- Afghanistan since the 70s. Right. Um, Angola. Oh, my God. Um, I guess we take on countries of all sizes. I do not know what was the operation in Angola. Uh, short story is that uh, the Angolese uh, were trying to overthrow their Portuguese uh, public administration in the, the 60s and 70s. Um, the U.S. got involved, I think, using South Africa as their proxy. Um, then Cuba got involved. Castro sent uh, right. troops over there to support the Angolese. And then the U.S. increased their support to uh, uh, fight against the Cubans, etc., etc. Uh, okay, I'm going to run down this list. Uh, tell me if you know anything about the U.S. involvement of these. Argentina? Argentina? Yes, um, no. No. Bolivia? Drugs? No. I don't know. Brazil? No. Cambodia? Yeah, were they trying to break away or 
trying to get independence? No, it was part of the Vietnam War. Cambodia, Vietnam, yeah. Laos. Yeah. They got involved. They were, they were bombed. Yeah. Fucking shit bombed out of them. The Viet Cong right. were, were marching their troops through Laos and Cambodia, so the U.S. had to carpet bomb those countries. Um, of course they did. Yeah. Uh, Chad, yeah. Chile. I'm just going to run through this quick because I know you yeah. know. We, we don't have time for you to say no to everyone. I, I should just soundboard it. Uh, Chad, <laughs> Chile, China, which was part of the Korean War, obviously. Colombia. By the way, all the South American countries, most of them is Operation Condor. You remember we talked about oh. Operation Condor mm-hmm. a while back um, where the U.S. supported uh, this this crackdown on leftist organizations by supporting right. yes. brutal right-wing military dictatorships coming together, cracking down on leftist uh, agitators and dissenters, priests, nuns, activists right across South America, Latin America. Uh, and the same guy, yeah. I can't remember his name, who who ran that operation for the CIA, yes. is the guy that Tr- Trump and Bolton put in charge of the Venezuela destabilization campaign recently. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, Cuba, obviously, economic sanctions, Bay of Pigs invasion, etc., etc. Um, Congo, Dominican Republic, East Timor, El Salvador, Grenada, Guatemala, Haiti, Honduras, Hungary, Indonesia, Iran, Iraq, Israel, Palestine, and that whole fucking situation, Korean War, Laos, Nepal, Nicaragua, Pakistan, Panama, Paraguay, Philippines, Sudan, Uruguay, Vietnam, and Yugoslavia. No countries beginning with a Z in there. I guess Zaire, which is Congo. So if you wanted to have a, a one for every letter. I think that's the way the Americans' uh, planners do it. They're like, we need an operation for every letter of the alphabet, just right. for, so it's neat. You know, at least yes. one for every letter. Preferably two, if we can find two countries that start with every letter. Now, nice listen, you can debate yeah. the numbers. You can debate the blame mm-hmm. for some of these. We can, we can have a lengthy conversation about well, this one's not legitimate or that one, the numbers are too high or this or that or the other. But you can't deny it all, even if only half of these are true and half of the numbers. 10 million right. dead as the result of US-led operations in the last 50 years. That ISIS, how many people have ISIS killed? What's the body yeah. count of ISIS? Any idea? A couple 10,000? I don't know. I think it'd be a few thousand. I don't even know. I don't mm. even know if it's ten thousand, a few thousand. I mean, it gets tricky when you get to Syria because there's obviously half a million people dead in Syria. Who's responsible for what? We don't know, but there's about fifteen parties involved over there, so it's hard to hard to appoint a, a blame. Yeah. You know, oh well, they've 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 destroyed uh, religious monuments. Yeah, and like uh, America and the UK didn't destroy any when you carpet bombed Dresden or Newt Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Oh, well, that's different. Yeah, of course it is. Of course. Why? Because you did it. It's <laughs> different when ones. we did Well, we were at war. Yeah, they're at war too, dickhead. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, that was a legitimate war. This is not a really. Oh, that's This great. is official. Who, who gets right. to decide what's a legitimate war? You? That's nice. Uh, we how, do. How Thank convenient. You. How convenient that must be. We got the stamp. Um, So listen, my point in all of this is when you read the media coverage of ISIS and al-Baghdadi, etc., etc., there's no perspective. Where's the ownership of the United States' creation of ISIS? Barack Obama himself said 
that the US invasion of Iraq in 2003 created a political vacuum that enabled ISIS to rise. ISIS mm. got their weapons from the United States. Secondhand, maybe, but the US were, right. you know, after the Iraq invasion, the US were, you know, giving weapons, selling weapons to the Iraqi, taking billions mm -hmm. of dollars of Iraqi money for, for American weapons, which they would give to Iraqi, uh, you know, soldiers, the Iraqi military, who would then defect to ISIS and take their weapons yes. with them. Or ISIS would fight them and defeat them. Quite often they would just defect, holus bolus, to ISIS. So ISIS were getting funded by America, American allies, getting weapons from America and America's allies, were created because of the political vacuum that America created when they toppled Saddam Hussein, who'd managed to keep these uh, Sunni fundamentalists, and ISIS are Wahhabi Sunni fundamentalists. They're supported predominantly by Saudi monarchy, who are the, the, the Saudi Arabia, the Saudi monarchy, if we explain mm -hmm. in a series series, are the, the center of Wahhabism, uh, Wahhabist extremism. They were founded by Wahhabi extremists. Go right back to Ibn Saud and the 20s and the 30s, he partnered up with a Wahhabist extremist. So um, they were funded. ISIS were built lock, stock, and barrel by the United States and their number one Middle East ally, Saudi Arabia. They were created. There's no conspiracy theory in that. There's no if, buts, or maybes. You created the power vacuum that enabled them to rise. You tortured all of these Iraqis who went on to become, literally all of the ISIS leaders were tortured in American mm -hmm. uh, torture camps, Abu Ghraib and Camp Booker in Iraq. Then you funded right. them and financed them directly or indirectly. And, and you know, then when they go, and, and by directly, I mean when they fucking went to Syria, you knowingly financed them via your, your allies the Syrian mm -hmm. Free Army in Saudi Arabia. Um, and then you, you, you turn around and go, hooray, we, we killed the leader. Like, there's no, but you read the American media and the, the rest of the Western media, there's no perspective, there's no ownership, there's no analysis. The there's media, no learning. Well, yeah. Not, yeah. Fuck, I don't expect anyone to learn, but just perspective. There's no, there's no right. analysis. No one, no one has any perspective on how this happened, why this was created, the responsibility that we all have for it, because these are our governments that are creating these things. Now, we mm -hmm. can debate whether it's deliberate or accidental. I tend to lean towards deliberate for because, you know, my dominant theory when it comes to the Middle East is that Western countries want a destabilized and violent Middle East because it plays into their economic and military interests. Um Right. And, you know, particularly after OPEC in the in, in the 70s, when these Middle Eastern countries were getting along a lot better and they were, you know what, fuck America. You've got to pay three times as much for your petroleum. And, and Henry Kissinger was like, well, fuck that shit. We can't have that happen. It's time we yeah. start uh, keeping these people completely destabilized so they can't gang up on us and uh, put the price of oil through the roof. Because now what they do is they say to Saudi Arabia, well, you keep an OPEC in general, keep the level of, keep, keep the price down mm -hmm. or we pull our weapons uh, from you. Ah, uh, uh, right. And they're like, oh, shit. Okay. Anyway, where are we at? But they still got the oil. That's my yeah. rant, rant for today. I've got, a, I've got another rant, Ray. Lebanon. Um, yeah. 
massive protests. If you haven't picked this up in the news, you hear about the protests in Hong Kong, you hear about protests in mm-hmm. Venezuela, although that's disappeared in the last couple of months. I haven't heard fucking boo about Venezuela for a while. Right. But, um, since Bolton, mysteriously, Bolton left all of a sudden. Huh. Nothing's going on in Venezuela. Huh. Hmm. Right. But um, massive protests going on at the moment in uh, Lebanon and in Chile, uh, amongst other places. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't think I'm hearing as much about these protests as I am about Hong Kong, right? Or Venezuela. Yeah, no, it's it just it, me. It's. No, it's all Hong Kong all the time. I mean, you can get on YouTube and you can watch how these people, and and it is amazing how they are taking technology to communicate with each other, to resist the police, to be able to deal with tear gas. It's amazing stuff. There is a ton of stuff on YouTube about following the, um, for lack of a better word, protesters around Hong Kong. But when you go on, um, and I try to look up some stuff on Lebanon, like 15-second clip, of someone chanting for a couple of minutes and like, oh yes, we are tired of the government stealing from us. And that's pretty much it. I mean, it is just so out of whack. There, there's no parody when it comes to something like Hong Kong and, um, and Lebanon. It totally is one-sided. I don't know why, hmm. but it is. Well, that was my question was going to, my question oh, was going okay. to ask you why. Yeah. Now um, we've talked a bit uh, recently in, uh, this show, I think, about USAID. We were mm-hmm. talking about um, Ukraine and USAID, I think, in last week, and, and USAID's uh, involvement in um, destabilizing and overthrowing governments of countries. Basically, oh, yes. USAID, it's generally understood by people who pay attention to these things, leftist activists that... The, the 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 secret role of USAID is and has always been since Kennedy created it to go into countries under the guise of aid, humanitarian right. aid, and they may fund uh-huh. uh, they may fund some schools or some parks or some things, but really, and, and they, they're upfront about this. What they're doing is trying to spread democracy, and so mm-hmm. what what they're doing is they're funding and organizing and training pro-democracy movements in these countries. And by pro-democracy, they mean the kind of democracy that we want, which is if people that we like get elected, that's democracy. If If people have a vote and you elect someone we don't like, like when the... Muslim Brotherhood was uh, elected in Egypt after the Arab Spring and Mubarak was gone. That's not democracy. Like if you look up democracy in the dictionary, it says when you vote for someone that we approve of. (laughs) Uh, If you vote for the Muslim Brotherhood, sorry, I I don't know what that is, but that's not democracy. Um, So USAID obviously been heavily involved in Lebanon, as you would expect. Uh, Last year alone, USAID spent $110 million on a Ooh. range of programs in Lebanon. Uh, not right. all focused on preventing extremism, apparently. Uh, mm-hmm. Projects included water system improvements. It's nice. Oh. Um, yeah. Solar lighting on roads in areas with security concerns. Because, nice. well, I don't know if it's one thing I've learned is that when... Um, somebody tries to rob me in the middle east right. uh, they they tend not to do it if there's a light on they're like oh what there's a lot oh yeah well, I can't, sorry i can't yeah, can't. yeah. i so, want to rob you but i can't if, there's if a you light can see on. my face 
I feel yeah. I feel I feel embarrassed now. Right. I mean, okay, I'm wearing a mask, but still. Yeah. Still. Uh, and right. I can see your face. That's oh, I can see oh, I can see your face. And this is my favorite, a Christmas food market in the city of Tripoli. Lovely. Uh hmm. okay. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're mostly Muslims. They don't celebrate Christmas, <laughs> but uh, sure. We're, we're going to go and finance that anyway for the 12 Christians sure. that live in Tripoli. Oh, um, now, uh, uh, now <laughs> that was from the LA Times. I got that uh, story. Now, Alan McLeod, uh, who we tried to have on the show uh, a few weeks back, a Scottish mm. uh, journalist uh, wrote a book uh, about the propaganda model. We tried a couple of times to get him on. He kept forgetting to turn up. <laughs> he yeah. was apologetic That's about right. it. Oh, shit. Sorry, I forgot. Yeah. Um, yeah. We end up g- giving up and just going ahead without him. He wrote an article about uh, these revolutions and how they're not being televised. The revolution isn't being televised, as he said, mm-hmm. uh, based on that uh, famous song. Revolution televised by Gil Scott Heron. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the Schaefer Award Theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. Bit of Ron Burgundy on flute there. It's nice for him to bring Ron I in. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I want to finish just by reading. I, I was gonna. I was gonna quote bits and pieces from Alan's article in uh, CommonDreams.org, but I thought I'd just read the whole thing because it's good. Okay. The revolution isn't being televised. The media is uninterested in protest movements around the world. It's all kicking off everywhere in 2019. Haitians are revolting against a corrupt political system and their president, Jovenel Moise, who many see as a kleptocratic U.S. puppet. In Ecuador, huge public manifestations managed to force President Lenin Moreno to backtrack on his IMF-backed neoliberal package that would have sharply cut government spending and increased transport prices. Meanwhile, popular Chilean frustration at the conservative Pinera administration boiled over into massive protests that were immediately met with force. We are at war, announced President Sebastian Pinera, echoing the infamous catchphrase of former fascist dictator Augusto Pinochet. Panera claimed that those responsible for violently resisting him were going to pay for their deeds as he ordered tanks through Santiago. Huge ongoing anti-government demonstrations are also engulfing Lebanon, Catalonia and the United Kingdom. Yet these actions have by far received the most... Sorry, yet the actions that have by far received the most attention in corporate media are those in Hong Kong, where demonstrations erupted in response to a proposed extradition agreement with the Chinese central government that opponents felt would undermine civil liberties in Hong Kong's semi-autonomous status. A search for Hong Kong protests on October 25, 2019 elicits 282 responses, 
in the last month in the New York Times. For example, compared to 20 for Chile protests and 43 for Ecuador and 16 for Haiti. The unequal coverage is even more pronounced on Fox News, where there were 70 results for Hong Kong over the same period and four, two and three for Chile, Ecuador and Haiti, respectively. This, this, this disparity cannot be explained due to the protest size or significance, the number of casualties or the response from the authorities. 18 people have died during the ongoing protests in Haiti, 19 and rising in Chile. And while in Ecuador, protesters themselves captured over 50 soldiers who had been sent in as Moreno effectively declared martial law. In contrast, no one has been killed in Hong Kong. Nor has the army been called in, with Beijing expressing full confidence in local authorities to handle proceedings. The Chilean government announced that it arrested over 5,400 people in only a week of protests, a figure more than double the number arrested in months of Hong Kong demonstrations. Furthermore, social media have been awash with images and videos of the suppression of the protests worldwide. One way of understanding why the media is fixated on Hong Kong and less interested in the others is to look at who is protesting and why? Over 30 years ago, in their book Manufacturing Consent, Edward Herman and Noam Chomsky developed their theory of worthy versus unworthy victims to explain why corporate media cover certain stories and why others are dropped. They compared the media coverage of a single murdered priest in an enemy state, communist Poland, to that of over 100 religious martyrs, including some U.S. citizens murdered in Central American client states over a period of two decades. They found that not only did the New York Times, Time, Newsweek and CBS News dedicate more coverage to the single priest's assassination, the tone of the coverage was markedly different. In covering the killing of Father Jerry Popolusko, media expressed indignation, demanding justice and condemning the barbarism of communism. The killings of religious figures in Central America by pro-US government groups, on the other hand, were reported in a matter-of-fact manner with little rhetorical outrage. In other words, when official enemies can be presented as evil and allies as sympathetic victims, corporate media will be very interested in a story. In contrast, they will show far less enthusiasm for a story when the wrong people are the villains or the victims. So, um, without going on, you can read the rest of the article, uh, go up to our website bullshit filter uh mm -hmm. for what is it the bullshitfilter.com um for if you want to link to that story by alan follow alan on twitter at alan r mcleod writes good stuff i like alan got to get him on the show eventually i was going to try right. and reach out to him for today but i was like oh it's too fucking hard he won't turn up um right and when we record it's late at night uh in uh in uh, glasgow yes. but um yes. anyway uh uh that's the kind of thing that's going on. You, you, keep an eye on that when you're reading, scanning the news. You will see the media is, devotes way more attention and way more outrage in certain countries in their, their protests right. if it fits the narrative that the corporate media will yeah. support. Yeah. When the, when the protests are going on in countries that we don't like, uh, uh, that are enemies then there's a lot of outrage and a lot of attention. When they're going on in countries mm -hmm. where we do like the government because they, they're, 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 they're economic allies, it doesn't matter how brutal the, the governments are or the protests are or how much they're crushing dissent, a lot less coverage and the tone of the coverage is going to be a lot less outraged. It's, again, as I said before, it's like, well, 
when our allies do it, like the uh, what the Saudis are doing in Yemen, well, they have to, they have to do that. Um, those right. people were those people yeah. were dissenters. Um, you know, they were troublemakers. They have to be. They have to be crushed. And as we're as we're learning, if it's not reported on, it doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Well, now, uh, Ray, there has been some talk um, in certain Uh-oh. certain circles that right. we should we should dedicate a bullshit filter miniseries on the uh, American Civil War or the War of Northern Aggression, as I prefer to think. Of. <laughs> oh God. Um. And I'm concerned that you're concerned that if you do that, you will get uh, strung up uh, somewhere. Uh, what do you think? Do you have you grown the I... have you grown the balls to do a show on the American Civil War with me? <laughs> oh my God! Um, well, put it this way: uh, there'll probably be a lot of Americanism spouting out of me, and if that's something then you can handle then which i'm sure you can then uh we can give it a go but uh yeah um wow you're talking about sitting on a powder keg but okay (laughs) no you'll have no americanisms i'll give you five minutes and you'll be agreeing with me yeah all right it's it's all lincoln's fault lincoln was a cunt yeah it's all Mm, his fault yeah yeah come on are you a southerner or not i'm gonna help you yeah I'm going to help yes. you embrace your southernness, your southernness. I will, I will be bringing my cowboy boots. That is yeah, how I'm to gonna, best answer your me question. Too. I put mine on, wear my hat. <laughs> so I bought in. Uh, I bought my. I bought my cowboy hat in Utah. Yeah. And I bought well, my boots in right, Wyoming. Right. Love okay, my cowboy nice. boots and my cowboy hat. Yeah. Well, right before we record, I will kiss my cousin. So <laughs> I win. Kid, I'm gonna kill you. (laughs) Amen. Yeah. It's hot. Friggin' immigrants. No, but I can be. Pedophile. 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 One-armed fucking pedophile.